All right, I want to welcome all those that are watching online and in our South Shore campus and Biloxi and at the Orleans Justice Center. Come on, church family. Let's give them all a big hand of welcome. We're so glad you're joining us today. And I have the distinct honor and the privilege to introduce to you Pastor Jacob Aranza. He is no stranger around here. He's been around here since the beginning, really. He is Pastor Steve's pastor. He pastors, he and his wife, Michelle, Pastor Our Savior's Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. He's really kind of the Bishop of Acadiana, if you will. And uh, they have about 7,000 people. And in Opelousa alone, they have 1,500 people in Opelousa. Isn't that just amazing what God's doing over there? Yes, let's give it up for him. And so he's been around here for years. He's pastor Steve's pastor. He's pastored, uh, he pastors Pastor Steve and Jennifer, and he's also pastored my wife and I, and he is just, he is just amazing. He's a phenomenal communicator, does a phenomenal work. And you're going to see in a few minutes how they're really touching uh, Acadiana, but their church is just really, really impacting. He's, he's been with Billy Graham. He spoke with Billy Graham, and he's been with Promise Keepers. So church family, let's do this. Let's give, and we saved the best for last, so let's just all stand up right now and give Pastor Jacob Aranza a good, warm Church of the King welcome. Well, while you're standing at all the campuses, let's pray for your pastors that when God brings them back, he brings them back refreshed, renewed, with fresh manna for us. Father, we thank you for Pastor Steve and Jennifer. We pray that as they're gone, that you would in this last week renew them and strengthen them. They've been pouring out to others all over the country. We pray as they have this unique time together alone that you would refresh them and renew them and recharge them and send them back full of strength, faith, hope, and fire for this new season. In Jesus' name, and everybody that loves your pastor said, let's give them a big hand. Come on, let's give a hand to your pastor. You may be seated. Well, it is great to be back at uh, Church of the King. I remember when we gathered and it was just a handful of people and, uh, and, and I actually prayed over Pastor Steve. I'm not one that's given to kind of speaking the future, but that day I remember in that small rented building seeing a vision. And in that vision, I saw a tent. And no matter how big you stretch the tent, it always had to get bigger. And that's what I said. I said, God is going to establish a work here. And no matter how big the 10 pegs go out, they're going to continue to be expanded. And as a matter of fact, that's the kind of pastor you have. One who sees not only here, but beyond this region. We actually believe that God has given us a mandate to come into a region and break pride, poverty, and prejudice, both spiritual and physical. Your pastor's heart's desire is the same as mine, and that's to have a church that looks like heaven. How many of you know there will be Mexicans in heaven? You know how I know that? God made Mexicans, and Mexicans made Mexican food, so let us worship. But it's always a joy to be here and, and see the incredible team that God has given y'all. And as y'all continue to expand, I tell you what, I'm really, I'm excited about what's going to happen in downtown New Orleans when y'all finish that work there. So if you're here and you got the $17 million we need to finish that, would you just go ahead and give it to God so we could get on with this? I believe God loves New Orleans. I believe God loves New Orleans. And I believe that God wants to raise up a work there that literally 
breaks pride, poverty, and prejudice that have been over that region for centuries. Uh, our church has done that in our area. In Opelousas, 70% African-American. Our campus there is 50 to 60% African-American. Almost 2,000 people this morning meeting at Opelousas High School with an Indian pastor. All of our campuses are, are very diverse from 25 to 50% African-American, and we have a Mexican, an Italian, an Indian, and a Cajun leading it. Come on. Does that sound like a move of God or a mixed-up buffet? Well, most of you, when you come to church, you come because you love God. I mean, sometimes you come when you love God and you don't feel like coming. Sometimes you come when, when you love God and you feel like, man, I need this. I need a word today. You come out of a little desperation. But, but most of us, we're here today because, because we love God. I, I remember a little boy and, and was brought into a Christian school, but Pastor Bob King, an old Spirit-filled pastor in Lafayette, really pioneered most of the Spirit-filled works, came out of his church. And, and he brought him in one day. It was the second grader, and he always seemed to be getting in trouble. And he looked at the little boy, and he said, Now, son, you're always foolish, and you're always being brought in here. And I'm always having to correct you. He said, Let me ask you something, son. Don't you love God? And he looked, and he said, Not too much. <laughs> do, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, I, I really want to love God more, but, but when I look at what I'm doing, I, I feel like, I feel like I, I just want to love God more. How can I do that? And today, that's the question I want to answer. How can I love God more? How can I love God more? Now, I don't know if you know this, but God really loves the people from Louisiana. You say, well, Pastor Jacob, how do you know that? Well, Number one, he gave Pastor Steve and me to Louisiana, so he must really love Louisiana. I'll just assume you're clapping for me. But do you, you know how I know that God really loves Louisiana? Well, first of all, he loves Louisiana because he gave them Cajuns. Okay, oh, no, that didn't get you excited. I know, I know, I know. God loves Louisiana because he gave us Boudin. Come on now. God loves Louisiana because he gave us crawfish. Come on now. Have you ever thought, who was the first person that was so hungry, sitting in a swamp, that he goes, I would just eat anything? I mean, how, how did, I mean, really... What gave that brother that idea? How could you really be that hungry? But I'm glad he did. As a matter of fact, Louisiana is the only place where you can see drop-dead gorgeous women pull the head off a crawfish and suck it till the eyes wiggle back and forth. I mean, we got, look at all the reality TV shows we got. We got Duck Dynasty. We got Swamp People. We got, I mean, I'm starting my own Swamp Preachers. You know, they suck heads, they fight people, they pull out guns. They, I mean, they're swamp preachers, that's who they are. But, but the reason that I know that God loves Louisiana and thinks so much of us 
is, is I know, how many of you here have children? You have to claim them. You're in church. How many of you have children? Okay, your numbers might be flashing up here. Just admit that you have them. You know, you, you have children, and sometimes as a parent, well, actually a lot of times, you have to make your children do things and go through things that they don't think they can go through. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And, and you have to make them go through things because they got to go through them to grow through them to become who they need to be. Everybody with me? God must really think a lot of us in Louisiana. Do you know who the three, what the three largest natural disasters in American history are? First was Katrina. It was actually replaced by Sandy, not because it had worse effect, but simply because there was a larger population on the, on the East Coast. So number two is now Katrina. And do you know what number three? The third largest natural disaster in all of American history, the great flood of last August the 12th. There were 120,000 homes flooded and lost. Now, do, do you know why it didn't make headlines? Part of it had to do with the election, but a bigger part is Cajun folks don't wait for the government. Let me tell you something. Those Cajun people will grab a sheetrock knife and some Clorox and mama and some Delcom slippers. How many of you know what Delcom slippers are? That's white rubber boots to about right here. We call those Delcom slippers. And, and they'll go out and they'll start, and I mean, they'll start on their house and they'll go to their neighbor's house and Boudreaux and Clotilde and, you know, all of them, Thibodeau, and, and they just, they, they started. Our, our church was right in the heart of that. Our, our church was one of the few places that didn't flood and people were literally walking through water this high, carrying their parents and grandparents. And in uh, and, and, and the, the course of the next three weeks to six weeks, our church served 30,000 meals. Y'all were financially helping us. We sent 4,000 volunteers into neighborhoods all around us. We gutted out over 408 homes. We gave away a half a million dollars worth of cleaning supplies. We spent a quarter of a million dollars on commercial dehumidifiers and fans because they were renting them for 150 to 250 a day, and every home needed at least two. And I, I want to tell you, whether it was Katrina, and, and our ability to do that was y'all were financially helping us during that time. But during Katrina, when everyone began to help this region, I was with your pastor, with the first 48 hours, we were with some of the first people with, with, with the uh, police chief of Mandeville that took us across the causeway. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter whether it was the flood, Katrina, Rita, the shooting in Baton Rouge, or the shooting in Lafayette. How many of you remember the shooting in Lafayette? We had two of our parishioners there. One of our teachers was the one who got shot in the leg and went and pulled the fire alarm, and that's the reason why many more were not killed. And, and, and I want to tell you, the shooter that was there in the theater was at our church the week before. Do you know what prevented him from doing that? A dream team member, a volunteer, a dream team member, greeted him and began ministering to him 
and that disarmed him. So thank you, Dream Teamers. Thank you. You don't know how many people that you stop along the way and encourage. And so that, 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 that crisis, each time I've been through, or the flood, do you know this church I've been privileged to be a part of being on the forefront of leading our state in recovery with your pastor and a team of pastors from across the state. Do you know your church has been on the forefront each one of those times? But can I tell you what organizations have risen up in those moments of crisis? Do you know it was? Was it FEMA? Do you know who it was? It was the church. It was the church. In those moments, it's been so amazing. During Katrina, it wasn't the Catholics and the Protestants. It wasn't the black, brown, red, yellow, white. It wasn't any of those things. For the first time, pastors and priests got more mad at the devil than they were at each other. And the church united together and made an impact. And it's still doing that. So I want to show you a little bit about how you, what, something you helped because your church was helping financially support us during last year as we did this. And you're going to see the part that we did in just the first few weeks. And then because of our organizations that united together, so they saw how we were working. Love Acadiana is our church. It's an underground organization. As you all know, in our area, 90% of the people are Catholic. So we do everything underground. And so our underground organization is called Love Acadiana. We're the chaplains of 15 high school football teams. We do Bible study impact all, the, all over the region. So because of that organization that you helped fund, because of that, an organization outside the state called Eight Days of Hope comes in and they bring in volunteers from all over the nation and they came and helped repair. We did almost 800 homes in a year and they came and did almost 200 homes in seven days. Restoration hardware. How many like restoration hardware? How many like it, but you can't afford it? Come on, tell the truth and shame the devil. Restoration hardware gave $1 million worth of furniture. Never done anything like that before. You could go in and pick out a $9,000 couch from flood victims who could just go back into their home and put this amazing furniture donated. Restoration Hardware isn't even a Christian company, to my knowledge, but they did it because they saw the unique organizations that gathered together, headed up by Jesus's church. Come on. So let me show you a little bit about what happened during this time, and you were a part of this.
What you see behind me is the remains of what's left over for many who have come to salvage their homes. I'm standing before a home that we gutted out, came back, repaired the AC, and once again gave someone who had no flood insurance and no hope incredible help. What they did was um, gave me hope. They showed up and it was to hang sheetrock. But what I want you all to know, even those in the back, how much I appreciate the giving of your time to do this for us in Acadiana. And from the bottom of my heart, I am truly touched and it overflows with blessings that you're doing to touch all of our lives. that exciting? That's what happens when the church unites. You know, Jesus was speaking to people and telling them that when they did things like that, when they served those around them, exactly what that meant to him. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 37. That day, the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we ever see you a stranger and welcome you into our homes or naked and clothe you? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will reply and say, I tell you, whenever you did this for one of the, say this with me, least important of these, my followers, you did it for, you did it for who? Jesus is saying, it is when we serve the least. It's when we do something for people that can't do anything back for us. That it's in those moments that we actually, truly are giving to him. One of the greatest ways that we can serve, show God that we love him is by serving others. So I want to give you three very practical ways that we can do that. You're being challenged this Saturday to go and be a part. Here it is. Number one, with your head. Say that with me, with my head. Proverbs 23, 13 says, as a person thinks, so are they. Do you know that we're naturally selfish? How many of you know that? Okay, you're so selfish, you can't even acknowledge that. <laughs> we're all naturally selfish. Given to myself, I mean, if, if I got uh, two pieces of pizza and one's big and one's small and I'm hungry, guess which one I keep? 
Don't sit there and lie. Your waistline's telling the truth. <laughs> All of us, we, we normally gravitate towards caring for ourselves. That is our normal disposition. Someone came up with an acronym many years ago that the quickest way to please God and to truly find joy is in that acronym, joy. Put Jesus first, others second, and guess who the Y is for? Just you act like criminals confessing that. Guess, don't die. Could you read me my rights and get my lawyer? It's, it, it's, it's yourself. The truth is when I put others first, there is a joy that comes to me. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone bless your children who didn't know them, but they found out they were your children, so they blessed them? Have you ever had that happen? My children, because in our area I've been there forever and everybody knows me, and my children have often said to me, we love daddy, but we hate Pastor Jacob. Because everywhere we go, oh, you're Pastor Jacobson. I mean, why can't we be a Boudreaux or a Thibodeau or a Robichaux or an Alcoin? It's Aranza, the founder of the Mexicoons. Everyone knows who our family is. And they always say that until the police pull them over. Police walk up to him and say, could I see your driver's license? Uh, uh, Joseph, your daddy's Pastor Jacob? Yeah, slow down, boy. I'm going to call him and tell him. Tell him I said, hey. And they come home and tell me that. And I go, it's not too bad being Pastor Jacob's son, is it? Or one of my sons was buying tires one day, and, and he was getting ready to roll out his check for the tires, and, and he handed it to the man. The man looked at him and said, oh, Rain, is it right? Your daddy's Pastor Jacob? He said, yeah, he tore up the check. He said, tell your daddy Sterling said, hey. Have you ever had someone bless your children because of who you are? I've often said it like this. No one ever loves me more than when they love me through my children. Now you know how God feels when we do it for his children. In our church, they would have clapped at that point. With our head. Here's the second thing, with our heart. Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. How many of you love sports? Okay, I, I, I love sports. If you, if you walked into my house, you would know that. I mean, I've pastored Coach O for the last four years. When he got connected, introduced him to Pastor Steve to get connected here. I pastored Mike Didka. They're basically both the same person. They are successful, very to them, very very focused in what they do, very passionate about what they do, and 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 I love it. You could go to my house if you walked into my house. I got a man cave. We have autographed Michael Jordan jerseys, Shaquille O'Neal jerseys. We have Shaquille O'Neal's shoe, which is about this big, <laughs> autographed. We have every kind of football autographed, and all the chapels and national championship teams that I preached to and prayed for. And, oh, I mean, it, it's easy to see. You could walk in and go, man, Pastor Jacob has invested some, some resources in this. As a matter of fact, I could go to any one of your homes and see where your treasure is too. And where your treasure is, there your heart is. You'd say, Pastor, listen, you, you did a great job. I, I, you need to come over to my camp. I mean, I got this camp. You would love my camp. Listen, 
If it costs more than $500,000, it's not a camp. It's a Mexican mansion. Okay, a camp is a trailer that costs 10 grand that's put on the water somewhere or on a piece of property. All of us have those things that we could show people that actually are reflective of what we value. Here's what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be also. God's treasure is in earthen vessels. It's in flesh and blood. And when we invest in people, we invest in God's treasure. That was a good place to clap too. Here's the third thing, with our hands. With, with our hands. Now, I, when people shake my hand, they usually say two things. Actually, when, when they don't just see me up here, the first thing they say is, you're tall. They expect most Mexicans to be relatives of El Chapo. <laughs> Little short, fat. Chaparito in Spanish means short and fat, like chubby. So how many of you know who El Chapo is? I, I was talking to Pastor Randy about El Chapo. He goes, El who? Go, Pastor Randy, don't you keep up with drug dealers? I mean, come on. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then the second thing they say is, is your hands are soft. And my hands are soft because unlike a lot of my Hispanic relatives, I, 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 I've never really had a job shoveling or, or painting or doing my, my, my parents owned bars and worked in restaurants as a waiter and a waitress, so I've always waited on tables and bus tables and been a waiter, and my life goal was to be a Mexican maitre d', kind of like Fantasy Island. Good evening and welcome to, you know, kind of a cross between him and the Dos Equis guys before I retired. I mean, that was kind of my, my that, if you see what they got, that's my daddy. That actually is my daddy. Uh, and... I mean, that, that was, that, I would be, I would actually be, right now, if I wasn't a pastor, if I wouldn't have got saved, I would be running Mexican restaurants. Cajuns and Mexican food would be united together <laughs> to create the greatest fast food chain you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> but you know, there is something that Jesus said to the people who were willing to serve others. Listen to what he said in John chapter 13. When you serve others with your hands, here's what he said. I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You then should wash one another's feet. I have set on, what's that word? Hey, another word would be pattern, model, something for you to replicate for you so that, read this with me, you will do what? Just as I have done for you. I am telling you the truth. Jesus says, I'm going to let you in on an eternal insight. No slave is greater than his master. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now watch this. Now that you know this truth, here it is. Here's the truth. Happy you will be if you put it in what? Into practice. You know what Jesus is saying? When you serve others, guess who really gets blessed? 
When you're doing what others need that might, you might think is making them really happy, guess who the person that really becomes filled with happiness? You. This weekend, some of you might, might, might be easier for you to, to, to write a check. Oh, Pastor, let me, let me, let me help. Let me, here, here's, here's $100. Here's $500. Get what you need to get. But do you know what? Sometimes the most expensive thing you have is not your money. It's your, it's your time. It's your time. As a matter of fact, I'm here because of a church like this. I'm here because of a church like this. A church like this, a, 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 a white church in an area that was, at that time, it had been a nice white affluent area at one time and it gradually the neighborhood got darker and darker and all my people moved in and we reproduced fast <laughs> and uh, I, I was raised in the black ghetto of Houston called Fifth Ward until I was nine years old when I found out I wasn't black we moved to the Mexican ghetto of Houston that's a true story and and my parents were life was going through crisis, and by the time I got into junior high school, uh, we were in the middle of integration. How many remember integration? Integration was going to solve all the school's problems by busing kids from the low-class black schools to the high-class white schools to get an equal education. The only problem was Mexicans were not considered to be Mexicans. They were considered to be white because the Supreme Court said whoever wasn't black was white. Matter of fact, on my birth certificate, it says I'm white. Later on, I found out I was a Mexican-American. Not long after that, I found out I was a Chicano. Not long after that, I found out I was a Latino. And recently, I found out that I was a Hispanic. So pray for me while I find myself. <laughs> so in the middle of all of this chaos going on, integration, our junior high school, which in Texas, junior, uh, junior high goes from seventh to ninth grade. And so our junior high school became, after integration, 60% Mexican, 39% black, and 1% white. And everybody wanted power. The brothers were saying, we want black power. The Mexicans were saying, we want Chicano power. <laughs> and the whites were saying, we want out. We're at the door. <laughs> and in the middle of all of that, a church about 150, average age about 60, began praying for a school in their neighborhood and how they could reach these kids of color that they knew nothing about reaching, but that were there. Maybe there's a little revelation that if God has brought somebody to your front door, even if they're not like you, he's brought them to you for you. And so they began praying. The pastor brought on his son-in-law who was in his late 20s. He was an iron worker, and so he wanted to be a preacher. So he did iron work part-time and then preaching on the weekend as the youth minister. And so he heard about what was going on in our school. And so he went, he knocked on the principal's door, and he said, Sir, I know you don't know me, but my name is Pastor Keith, and I'm a youth minister, and I work at a church here down the road. And, and I know you've been having a lot of problems at your school. It's 2,000 kids. It's 60% Mexican. It's 39% it's, it's African American. You've got racial issues. There's police officers, full-time narcotics officers, just a mess. I believe if you let me in your school, Jesus can do something in this school. And through a series of circumstances, he allowed him to come. I remember the, the, the first school assembly. I remember it well. 
I was about this tall. My hair was about down to here. And I came walking in with my little homies in the back. I just got through smoking weed that morning before school. Oh, don't ever act like you didn't smoke any weed. Oh, I know. You go, Pastor, it was medical. You had glaucoma when you were 13? Seriously? Seriously? You better tell that lie to somebody else. Cheech and Chong had led you astray. Don't lie. And so I don't even remember what happened that day. I really don't. I just remember that I was morning ritual, smoking dope before school. That afternoon, about five o'clock, a knock came at my door, and there was a pretty Mexican girl that lived across the street from me, and her name was Dolores. And she came and she said, hey, Jacob, those people that were at school today, they're going to be back tonight. Do you want to go with me? And I said, will you kiss me? Now, I don't recommend this as a point of evangelism, girls. But in my case, it worked. So she said, I said, would you kiss me? She said, yes. And so I went with that holy motive. I got there that night and there was a band that they brought from California and it played music. And then this local pastor got up and he spoke and, and I didn't really remember much of what happened then, but a thousand students responded to go up to be born again. And all the, they didn't know what to do with that group. So they broke them up all into classrooms and they sent members of the band to, to, to be counselors in each one of the rooms. So I waited about 10 minutes for Dolores, and when she didn't come out, I went and knocked on the door, opened up the door. Here they are here, crying, praying to give their life to Christ, to be born again. And I'm like, Dolores, time for us to go. I need my kiss. <laughs> True story. And there was an African-American counselor leading the group, and he looked up at me and he said, did you want to talk to me? Now let me tell you something about blacks and Hispanics that you might not know. We not, might not be living for God, but we all afraid of God and respect him. As a matter of fact, I've never met a black or Mexican atheist in my life. There may be one, but they've never had enough courage to tell their mother or grandmother they didn't believe or they would see Jesus personally. Come on, Mexicans, we name our children Jesus. Come on. I mean, really, seriously, if you meet a white person named Jesus, look twice. It might be him. <laughs> and, and, so, and so just out of respect, I just stopped. And he said, you know, did you want to talk to me? I said, no, man, we really got to go. And Dolores said, no, we don't. We got plenty of time. And I sat down next to him. I can see that where I was sitting right now. I can see exactly where he was right now. And I sat down, kind of deflated. I went in there expecting a kiss. <laughs> and he looked at me and he began to tell me the greatest story I'd ever heard my whole life. That it didn't matter whether my mother was a barmaid. And it didn't matter if I had four sisters who got pregnant, 13, 14, 15. It didn't matter if my daddy was on his way to being married five times. It didn't matter that I'd been in gangs and drugs and done many things that I was ashamed of. There was a God who had a plan and a purpose for kids like me. That there was dreams that he had for me and purposes that he had for me. And that if I would give my life to him, I could have a new birth that day and be born again and he would show me that plan for my life.
And then he said, do you want that? I'm like, that's what I've wanted all my life. I've wanted to know I was special. I wanted to know there was something unique about me. I've wanted to know there was something that was bigger than me. And there was something that could take me out of the mess that I was in. Of course, this is what I want. That day I was born again. The pastor that led that awakening in my school picked us up on a bus the next day to take us to church. And I was on that bus. And that was 45 years ago. And I never got off of it since. When I was... In the middle of my junior year, everybody in my family dropped out of high school with six children. I was the only one. And I wanted to drop out, but my, 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 my spiritual father, my pastor, wouldn't let me. And so he announced that he was leaving and going to Waco, Texas. And I walked up to him after church. And I said, Pastor Keith, if you leave, what's going to happen to me? And he said, well, ask your mother if she'll sign papers and, and you can go. I went to my mother's bar that afternoon and said, you got to sign papers so I can move with Pastor Keith. She signed papers. I came back that night and said, Pastor Keith, she said I could go. And that man raised me like his own son for the next 10 years and showed me how to be a husband and a father and a man. <laughs> 45 years later, he's the first person I call on Father's Day. I still speak to him every week. He's 77 and a pastor and got more fire than 10 of the best preachers you know. Why am I telling you all this? Look right here. Because Jesus saved my soul, but the church of Jesus saved my life. Because when a group of people went out to serve their community, they didn't know that Jacob Aranza was one of them. But God did. You see, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. You never know who's on the other side of your obedience. Oh, wait. Yes, you do. Jesus told us, when you do it under the least, you do it unto me. He's on the other side. He's on the other side. I want to challenge you this Saturday. Don't go to church. Go out and be the church. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I thank you that my story is told many, many times over, over a thousand times over of how you relentlessly pursued us of the many people that are here if they were to share their story today. I thank you that you love us so much that the relentless pursuit of people is your heart. We're your treasure. We're your treasure. And for every parent here that has a prodigal, we were your prodigals. There wasn't a moment you didn't think of us. There wasn't a moment you didn't have us on your heart. Today, I thank you for Church of the King. I thank you for the incredible people here. I thank you for the heart of this church and this pastor and these leaders and these elders of this house who always see bigger than those that are here, who always see those that are yet to be reached. Thank you for that. Thank you that they're not satisfied because your heart's not satisfied. 
And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. You say, Pastor, what could be the most important question of my life? Jesus said, unless a man or woman was spiritually born again, they would not see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So if you are counting on going to heaven, if you're counting on your sins being forgiven, the Bible says that the moment you pray to be born again, your name is written in a book called the book of life. And then when you stand before Jesus, he's going to open up that book and look for your name. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971 in Jackson Junior High, when I prayed with an African-American counselor who I will never see again. I didn't see him since that day. I'll see him in heaven. He'll find out who he prayed with. And he'll find out what God has done. Today, you can pray right where you are. That day was my spiritual birthday. It only happens once. Today can be your spiritual birthday. You say, Pastor, I've been christened and baptized. That's great, and that's a good beginning. But Jesus said you had to be born again. It's in John chapter 3. You can go home and read it today to see or enter into the kingdom of God. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you this simple question. Have you been born again? Because until you can say yes to that question, you don't know your sins are forgiven. You don't know that if you died, the next face you see would be the face of Jesus. And you don't know when you walk out of here that God's plan is being fulfilled through your life. It begins the moment you're born again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to give you the opportunity that African-American counselor gave me in a chemistry lab 45 years ago the opportunity to be born again for today to be your spiritual birthday, for you to walk out of here knowing your sins are forgiven. Christ is living in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That if you died, the next face you'd see would be the face of Jesus. And if you live, God's plan and purpose is going to be fulfilled through your life. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're in, you say, Pastor, I've never prayed to be born again. I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. Pastor, would you pray for me today? I need to be born again today. I don't want to leave here without knowing I've had a spiritual birthday. If that's you, would you lift your hand right now?